Welcome to Research Bites, the podcast about research students and their journeys in academia. My name is Lachlan, and today I'm joined with uh, co-hosts Imtiaz and Felix. And today we're going to be discussing um, cellular plasticity in cancer, which is Felix's topic. So Felix, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, Lachlan. Uh, great to be here. Great to be on the, uh, the interviewee side of, of things this week. Um, yeah, really excited to get into it. Awesome. Before we get into it, tell us a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, uh, uh, so I think I, I probably took um, a rather conventional way, I would say, of getting into sort of research. Um, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Sydney. Um, I studied a Bachelor of Science and majored in cell pathology. Um, throughout that sort of degree, um, I feel like I didn't really do subjects I really liked that much. Um, really towards the end, uh, where we started to do um, cellular diseases, uh, particularly um, I found I was really interested in cancer. Um, and from there I, I finished up and I, I kind of knew I wanted to do an honours degree. Um, I was deciding uh, where to do it and, and what kind of uh, thing to focus on. Um, I feel like back then, and I mean to an extent now, almost everything sounds like super interesting. Like I remember into like interviewing a few different um, researchers for, for honours degrees and they were all just like everything they said I was like oh my god that's incredible I want to do that <laughs> and then you like go to the next person and they're like oh like, that's that's even you know that's even better um, but I, I ended up um, at the Garvin Institute in Darlinghurst um, with a, a researcher fantastic uh, cell, cell biologist um, Christine Schaffer um, and uh, I partnered up with another researcher, um, John Locke from UNSW. Um, and yeah, and we, we started my honours degree in uh, looking at a, a novel driver of um, a kind of uh, cellular process known as plasticity. Um, and cell plasticity, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to define what cell plasticity is um, throughout the world and throughout different um, sort of groups and, and researchers tend to have a, a slightly different idea about how we can define some of that, um, uh, those ideas. It's actually, it's funny actually, um, I read this paper not too long ago that was like trying to get over or, or trying to flesh out some like sort of hard definitions about how we can um, talk about cell plasticity and the, they had this like, uh, the name was like, oh, you know, cell plasticity is the nomenclature as plastic as the cells themselves or something like that and you know haha very funny um is that is that because um well i, I guess maybe, maybe we should try and explain plasticity because my uh my understanding i was thinking i guess like um the plasticity of the brain is kind of what i was thinking about how cells are able to sort of change and adapt yeah to environments is that is that kind of what we're talking about here or exactly yeah yeah totally um one of the kind of ways that I like to explain plasticity is, is it's the ability of cells or cancer cells in, in, in my case um, to adapt to bi biological challenge in the body. Um, so cancer cells are like incredibly dynamic entities. They're not just like a, uh, they, they're able to move and overcome certain things. So it, when they're exposed to sort of new environments or uh, particularly, um, you know, things like chemotherapy, in intervention, um, 
they're actually able to adapt and overcome uh, those, those processes. Um, they're very uh, good at surviving um, cancer. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my broad uh, idea of, of how um, to define cell plasticity. It's yeah, the ability of cells to, to modify their function and their form um, in response to sort of external stimuli or internal stimuli as well. Well, that's a great explanation because that was probably going to be one of my first questions is what, what is plasticity and how do we get all of our listeners who might not be scientists <laughs> understanding what it is. So thanks for covering that. But if we take a little step back again, mm. for our listeners who aren't sure what an honest process is like, tell us a little bit more about what made you go with Christine and John for your research project and what the process of the honors was. Yeah. Um, it's, again, it's kind of funny. Like, I feel like people have, um, a, a, you know, know, this is going to sound bad, but like, I always kind of envisioned myself, envisioned myself working at the Garvin Institute. I, I really liked the, you know, I don't know, I, would, I grew up around there and, and I would be walking over. It's a cool building it's, as well. It's a cool building. <laughs> like the helix, the <laughs> yeah. staircase. Yeah. You know? It's very trendy and blah, blah, blah. And like, <laughs> as a young, you know, budding high school scientist, I was like, oh, I'd love to work there. Um, uh, so anyway, I, I kind of knew I really wanted to, to try uh, find some research there. Um, uh, I think probably the best advice I could give anyone going into honours is like, ask everyone, talk to everyone, mm -hmm. like talk to 50 different researchers and don't just go with the one that has maybe the, I don't know, the top, the know, greatest the reputation, greatest reputation yeah, even yeah. like not yeah. to say that, um, you know, that's not a bad idea, I guess for some people that's what they're looking for, but um, I, uh, I was lucky enough to find, you know, supervisors who had incredible uh, uh, reputations, but were also, and more importantly, incredibly nice and incredibly supportive throughout the whole process. Um, and uh, what can I say about the honours? The honours, like, it's not even a year. It's like, what, eight, ten months, really, if you break it down, of just, like, hardcore, <laughs> you need to get stuff done. It's probably, like, the most amount of knowledge that I've ever fit into, like... A short period of time. It's, it's great. It's it's super fun. Um, loved it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was awesome. Um, sort of going on from there, I kind of, I didn't. Uh, I was I was trying to think about what I wanted to do. I, I didn't know if I really envisioned myself, you know, going down this big career in research. Um, I always kind of thought that the honors would allow me to sort of pivot where I wanted to from there. Maybe figure a few things out on the way, and then. If I wanted to do like, if I liked it and I wanted to continue on with a PhD, um, I could, but then I could also, you know, not do that if I didn't want to. Um, but I decided to stay, um, and I, uh, yeah, I started my PhD about a year ago now, uh, so I'm about a year in, um, with the same supervisors that I was in for my honors degree. Um, and yeah, I'm really loving it, so it's good. I'm glad I did both, yeah. And I guess, like, during your honors, um, that's kind of like, as you said, it's kind of a crazy time because it was like this short burst where you're learning all these different things. But in your case, you were learning a lot of like very technical skills, mm. uh, like you're like um, like all these different techniques that you would have had to become very confident in, and just lab sort of safety and just working in a laboratory environment. Um, did that 
sort of prepare you for your PhD? Did you feel prepared once you started your PhD? Or was it like, oh no, I know nothing again, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I, like, like I said, my, my undergrad, I feel like I didn't really do many subjects that actually aligned with what I'm doing now. Um, so going into my honours, I really, I hadn't, I probably, I really hadn't really touched a, pit, a pipette in like years, <laughs> maybe since first or second year, like molecular biology, like, and then I, I was, I was doing more anatomy subjects, which is weird. But mm. anyway, I, I just ended up not really having any research experience and um, definitely none of the computational kind of experience, which mm. um, I'm now super into. Um, so yeah, you kind of just have to go with it. Like um, everything, you know, I'm a firm believer of everything can be taught and with the right people around you, like, you know, it, it, it's hard, <laughs> like it, it's like, working in labs, like, I don't know, I, I find, I thought at least for a long time that I was just not good at a lot of them. And, you know, I, I am a clumsy or something like that. I'm just messing things up. And then it's kind of slowly just starts to click and you like start, you know, not making mistakes as many as you can, um, as many as you used to. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, especially in the case of, of working within the same biology, going from my honours to my PhD, it was, it was a great like transition and, and yeah, I felt really comfortable going into my PhD from there. Awesome. You touched on something that's really important, I think. I think many people wouldn't pursue an honours or PhD because they feel like I don't have the skills or I don't have the knowledge to do it, whereas perhaps doing the honours and the PhD is going to help you develop those skills along the way, yeah? Yeah. Um, is that how you've, you've felt so far through the honours and your, your early, early PhD? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess now, like, the amount of learning that I'm doing in the PhD is probably, like, stre stretched out a little bit more because you, you've got a little bit more time, but... <laughs> Definitely, and a bit more specific. As yeah, well. yeah. question. Yeah, they're, they're less. Yeah, less broad. I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, like, how great is it? You know, you can just keep getting more stuff. If you find more things, you can learn new techniques. It's all super fun. Like, definitely, big recommendation to to do your honors at least. Not not necessarily doing your your, your PhD if you're in science, but yeah, it's it's a great um, great degree, and I had, a, I had so much fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more now about your current PhD research project. What is your, what is your big question or what are your big questions? Yeah, uh, okay. Um, so how do we do this? Uh, uh, so we're starting now to kind of figure out um, what's driving sort of these cellular uh, plasticity processes. Um, however, there's still like a lot that's not really known. Um, so Maybe I can, uh, I can give a, just a very brief um, idea about how cells actually process information. So cells, we can kind of think of them uh, as these little microchip computers. Um, they take in information um, and they produce sort of a response from that information. And, and those, uh, that information is processed at um, different levels within the cell. Um, so uh, I feel like a lot of people are probably familiar with um, DNA and the genetic code um, that we can consider as one sort of layer of information that the cell would use to produce a response. Um, but there's a whole lot more out on top of that. So these, these are like the, the ohms, so like the proteomes, yeah. the transcriptomes. Exactly, you know. exactly. Um, 
these uh, these yeah these omics kind of yeah. technologies that we're now sampling different different layers. So um, the DNA and, and maybe I can just give a crash course in cell biology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, please do. You got thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so cells. Uh, so in, in, the DNA contains the genetic code. Uh, the genetic code. Um, contains uh, so specific sequences of this code um, can be uh, defined as genes. Um, genes are, are read uh, to produce proteins. Um, there's a step in between there where... Uh, Which is the best step, mind you. Yeah. If you ask so, me, my favourite my favorite step's a bit, he's skipping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lachlan, uh, Lachlan's a big RNA guy, so um, DNA is, is read um, and the complementary strand that's formed for a specific gene is, is known as the RNA code. Um, and then that code is then uh, used to produce proteins in the cell um, and proteins sort of compose uh, everything that the cell does. So, so the cell structural components are made out of proteins, um, the, the membrane and, and other structural um, uh, organelles are, are formed by proteins. Um, it's also how cells communicate with each other. So they release um, signaling molecules uh, and that's how they talk to each other and that's how um, uh, that's how cell biology becomes. Uh, it's, it's through proteins. Um, so I guess uh, an interesting point on on that, which is I think is a fascinating aspect of our, our biology and cell biology in general, is that each cell, by like red blood cells, has the same genetic, genetic yeah, code. Yeah. And there's like these you know these different layers of information that are sort of regulating which parts of those that code is activated. Yeah. You know? it's, it's incredible. Yeah. You know? Like. There are so many different types of cells within the body, mm. but they all contain the same DNA. Mm. So, Very interesting. <laughs> so there's all of these additional layers of regulation that actually goes into defining, you know, my cell becomes an eye cell versus it becomes a toenail cell, you know, <laughs> something like that. They still contain the same, you know, underlying genetic information, but mm. the, the, what actually gets turned on is obviously incredibly important. Um, so we have these different layers of information within the cell. Um, those kind of coalesce to form a, uh, a response. Um, and so in, in my particular case, I'm, I'm interested in, in how cells um, kind of uh, shift between different cell states is what I'm going to call it. Um, we, can, we can kind of think of a cell state as a configuration of those different layers of information. So a particular uh, expression of proteins or a particular you know shape or size um, how, how do cells actually switch between those um, states uh, and, and in particularly in cancer what is that sort of plasticity between them how does that uh, relate to some of the worst outcomes in patients so um, plasticity has been associated with uh, a few steps along the metastatic cascade like um, in terms of local invasion being able to survive within the um, within the, uh, the blood system and then, and then also to metastasize to, to distant sites. Um, so all of these things are very important, um, but what's missing in, in a lot of the research, um, and, and we touched on it just then about the omics, um, what's missing with a lot of omics is the fact that um, biology happens in time and in space. Uh, space, I'm going to say, so like the, the distribution, like the, um, where things are in the cell spatially. Um, those two things are often missing from a lot of the research that's been done with omics technologies um, because uh, they're just not compatible with being able to look inside a cell and tell where a certain protein is, is expressed. 
um, like DNA and, and RNA uh, uh, sequencing uh, obviously gives you this incredible amount of information, um, but this, the spatial aspects is often lost. There's now new techniques that are coming out that do incorporate these, but they're still in their early days. Um, so I'm very interested in trying to, um, in, in, in single cells, map uh, how they move to different states and assess, so uh, like kind of um, assess different layers of information. So RNA, RNA transcription information, protein information, also protein localization within the cell um, and try to link them all up and how they kind of work together to produce a response, a, a cell state change. Um, that would probably be my overall kind of uh, <laughs> It sounds goal. like there's a lot of information that you're taking in. So you're taking all these different layers of information, and this is through um, fluorescent microscopy, right? Or well, some of it, at least, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah, so that's, uh, it's, yeah, we take in lots of information about the cell. Um, one thing that, like, one... But then how do you how do you sort of understand yes. that, that layers of yes. information? So uh, one thing that we can kind of think about is how do you be as non-biased as possible when you're when you're assessing sort of a biology or, or a process? Um, one way that you could do that is by taking in as much information as possible, um, and then sort of distilling that down into a more um, uh, sort of like a shortened kind of unit of, okay, this is the answer, but starting very broad and, and using some, maybe some sophisticated analytical tools to kind of get whittled down and get to the, the answer at, at the end. Um, so one of the techniques um, that, so, so we're really interested in spatial arrangement. Um, one of the uh, kind of, well, one of the only techniques maybe or um, that we can assess sort of protein localization within the cell is through um, microscopy, so imaging of, of cells, um, kind of like taking a photo of, of a cell. Um, and we use uh, fluorescently tagged um, antibodies, so that are specific to a certain protein. So remember I was um, going <laughs> just back a little bit about how the cell is composed of certain proteins and they, and they are used to make certain structures and signaling. Um, we can actually tag those proteins very specifically with a fluorescent um, marker, um, and we can do that uh, usually just four times, um, given the uh, the wavelength of light. Um, so we can tag four different proteins with four different colors, and when we take a photo of them, we'll be able to see in the cell where those four where those four colors are. Um, and so that gives us information about the this, the spatial arrangement of cells. Um, but uh, we're sort of looking to kind of, so a lot of fluorescence microscopy in, in that way is, is quite low throughput. Um, you can only sort of take, you can only do four channels at a time in a single cell because of the, the, um, uh, the limitations of the, of the wavelength spectrum. Um, but it's also low throughput uh, in that it's, it's uh, often, you only do like one or two samples at a time. Um, so I'm looking at trying to uh, automate those processes um, and uh, particularly in, in, a, in a technique called multiplexing, um, which, is, which is emerging as a, a novel uh, imaging technique um, that allows you to do four channel imaging 
then remove those channels and add another four on top of him. Like so another another four cells or four So in the channels. same cells, four yeah. four we image with four different channels, looking at four different proteins. And then we take an image of it and then we remove those four that we had just put down and put down another four. So specific to another four proteins. And then if we take an image again, you'll be able to see eight within a single cell. And so that's called multiplexing. You can do it in cycles over and over again um, to build up sort of a panel of, you know, 30 or 40 different proteins within the same cell. Wow. Um, and that's, as you say, a lot of information. Um, and uh, we can then do some sort of analytics stuff down the, down the line, which I don't know if we want to get into. But, um, <laughs> I think it's interesting. I think it's, it's kind of cool. If you want to talk about like di dimension reduction, was yeah. sort of what I was leaning towards. Yeah, so, um, uh, so yeah, I get, I get a lot of these things from my supervisor, uh, John. He's uh, worked a lot um, with sort of statistics, statisticians <laughs> uh, over, his, <laughs> over his career. So um, what I really love about the work that he kind of brings and we do in our lab is that it relies on a lot of um, sort of more statistical principles that don't necessarily come from science. So a lot of um, techniques that are coming from economics and things like that. Um, and uh, in this way of, um, of, of thinking about biology in a more systems way. So this is the concept of uh, systems um, biology, uh, but I, okay, I, I can explain that. Um, so systems biology is is uh, it's the idea is how do we understand a biological system? Um, in the past, a lot of people uh, have a lot of the research done is what people call reductionist. If we're interested in a in a cellular process, say, um, what we can do is knock out one of the genes or knock out one of the proteins. So don't let that, that cell express that gene or protein and see how that kind of changes the cell. So if we knock out protein X and then the cell can no longer migrate or it can no longer, I don't know, divide, we could say that, okay, this gene is related to um, uh, migration. Therefore, that gene is driving migration. That gives us some in, in, like insights, obviously. Um, but it's pretty clear that biology doesn't sort of operate in, in binary sort of relationships like that. Um, mm. You know, there's what? It's, so, it's like dynamic. It's like, <laughs> it's cells don't just go whoop, whoop. They're yes. like, they're moving in time and yes. space and yeah. yeah. Um, so that, uh, yeah, there's this reductionist approach of breaking down sort of the system and then um, saying that this causes that uh, is what a lot of, research does and it, it works you know it's not like not to say that it doesn't um but another way of thinking about sort of uh biology is is by um what's what we now call systems biology which kind of is referring to how to understand a whole system we have to understand its parts together so not looking just specifically at one thing it's kind of like so there's an analogy where um if you're wanting to build a house, uh, we could start by looking at the very specific, what is a brick, you know? Understanding what a brick is, put brick, a few bricks together and you get a wall. We can very clearly understand what a brick is, but we're not gonna know as much about the house by just going from brick and brick. Mm. Why don't we look at the house as a whole and say, okay, you know, that's, 
I have. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this, this is the idea of systems biology, trying to, um, to think about everything together as, as a whole. Um, and that's what we're sort of interested in in, in, our, um, in our lab. So the, the multiplexing and the systems biology approach sound like really novel approaches to, you know, analyzing behavior of cells. So if we go back to cancer then, mm. how is this going to help us or help, uh, help professionals better diagnose and or treat cancer down the line? Understanding that it's a long process to get there, mm. but how is your research, research going to... How are you going to cure cancer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, you, you got, you got only a couple more years. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I know, I'm going to need to start. Um, so, yeah, there's a, the clinical implications, no I guess, of, <laughs> of, of um, the idea is that if we can understand uh, sort of the machinery that's driving plasticity, we could then become, uh, start to develop therapies that, that look at targeting it, at inhibiting it. So I, I mentioned earlier um, that plasticity is uh, often associated with sort of treatment resistance, um, so work from from our lab um, has shown that if uh, cells, uh, cells actually, if they're treated with chemotherapy, that is driving a, um, a cells to become more resistant to chemotherapy. So it's sort of like a cycle. Um, yeah. Kind of like antibiotic resistance in a way, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like, um, so it's almost a bit like uh, if chemotherapy wipes out most of the cells, but not all of them, there is going to be a few cells that have maybe a natural resistance to that um, therapy, and they're able to then uh, divide and generate a, a tumor after that. Um, and so we're looking at how those processes can be blocked. So how do we actually stop cancer cells from switching into a, into a resistant state? Um, and then when you treat them with chemotherapy, hopefully that will kill them. Um, and so, yeah, recently they... Um, I was working on a project with them where they actually discovered a, a, a drug that was stopping um, plasticity, and when combined with um, with chemotherapy, it was it was doing much better. It was, it was reducing tumor volume in, in mice. Um, so that's sort of one aspect of how um, how this kind of research would would help the patients. Um, so with treatment design, another one is um, uh, through the development of sort of biomarkers and. What I mean by biomarker is how do we, uh, for a specific patient, how do we know sort of what drivers in their disease or, or in their cancer are actually going to uh, be able to be targeted? Or how can we put them onto the right therapies? So we often, you know, there's lots of, uh, so there's lots of drugs that do work, but there's often a problem with being able to figure out which patients they're actually going to work mm -hmm. for and being able to put them together. Mm. Um, so by adding many, many different um, sort of, uh, as, 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 with multiplexing, like getting multiple of these proteins in the same cells, we'll hopefully get a better idea of what sort of biomarkers will be able to um, sort of stratify patients into, okay, this patient, their cancer is, is being driven by this particular um, uh, signaling pathway 
let's match them up with a with a disease. Uh, sorry, with a treatment that is going to target them specifically. Amazing. So a much more a much more precision form of medicine. So yeah, like, exactly. Like we spoke about last episode, right? Yeah, yeah but, uh, probably be well. popping up uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah. Um, to take a step away from the science now, yes. what is one bit of advice you would give the young budding high school? scientist Felix as he walked past the Garvin regularly. <laughs> Bit of career and life advice for him. Yeah, sure. Um, is this for... Okay. Uh, at that point in life, I, I probably needed a lot of advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, hence, hence one piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, probably don't be too disheartened about like um, about maybe not Okay, now I got a better piece of advice uh, for. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep, keep it light. Keep yeah, it. we'll keep it light. Um, no, no, <laughs> not get light. Um, maybe for, for honor students and PhD students a bit more more specifically. Um, you know, I've I've been not my experiments haven't been working for a very long time, <laughs> and this is not. Uh, I, just keep pushing on. I guess is my um, my final bit of advice. You know, I've. My experiments haven't been working for a long time, and then recently they are working, and it's pretty incredible um, to be able to, to go over that. I feel like there's going to be like ups and downs in this project, and mm. I've been on a down, I guess, <laughs> for a while, but now it's looking like yep. it's coming yep. up, so maybe that's good advice. Just stick with it. Yeah, that is good advice. Persevere, keep going, and you'll naturally find some ups. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please hit us up at ResBytePodcasts on Twitter. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks.